Chapter Twenty Seven of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. Clear sky and a thunderbolt. Has anyone asks George Eliot in Middlemarch ever pinched into its pillulous smallness the cobweb of prematrimonial acquaintance? And to press the metaphor, the cobweb, as far as Mark and Mabel were concerned brilliantly as it shone in all its silken iridescence would have rolled up into a particularly small pill mark was anxious that his engagement should be as short as possible chiefly from an uneasy fear that his great happiness might elude him after all the idea of losing mabel became day by day as he knew her better a more intolerable torture and he could not rest until all danger of that was at an end mabel had no fears of a future in which mark would be by her side and if she was not blind to some little weaknesses in his character they did not affect her love and admiration in the least she was well content that her hero should not be unpleasantly perfect and the weeks slipped by until easter which fell early that year had come and gone the arrangements for the wedding were all completed and mark began to breathe more freely as he saw his suspense drawing to a happy end it was a bleak day towards the end of march and mark was walking across the park and gardens from his rooms in south audley street to malakoff terrace charged with a little note from mabel to trixie to which he was to bring back an answer for although mabel had not made much progress in the affections of the rest of the ashburn household a warm friendship had sprung up already between herself and Mark's youngest sister, the only one of them who seemed to appreciate and love him as he deserved. He felt buoyant and happy as he walked briskly on, with the blustering north-easter at his back seeming to clear his horizon of the last clouds which had darkened it. A very few days more, and Mabel would be his own, beyond the power of man to sunder and soon too he would be able to salve the wound which still rankled in his conscience he would have a book of his own sweet bells jangled was to appear almost immediately and he had come to have high hopes of it it looked most imposing in proof it was so much longer than illusion he had worked up a series of such overwhelming effects in it its pages contained matter to please every variety of taste flippancy and learning sensation and sentiment careful dissection of character and audacious definition and epigram failure seemed to him almost impossible and when he could feel able to lay claim legitimately to the title of genius surely then the memory of his fraud would cease to reproach him the means would be justified by the result he amused himself by composing various critiques of the book all of course highly eulogistic and thus pleasantly occupied the way until he gained the cheerful kensington high street the first half of which seems to belong to some bright little market town many miles further from charing cross in the road by the curbstone he passed a street singer a poor old creature in a sunbonnet with sharp features that had been handsome once and brilliant dark eyes who was standing there unregarded singing some long-forgotten song with the remnants of a voice mark's happiness impelled him to put some silver into her hand 
and he felt a half superstitious satisfaction as he heard the blessing she called down on him as if she might have influence no one was at home at malakoff terrace but trixie whom he found busily engaged in copying an immense plaster nose jack says i must practise harder at features before i try the antique she explained and so he gave me this nose it's his first present and considered a very fine cast jack says never saw a finer nose anywhere said mark looks as if it had been forced eh trixie mark don't cried trixie shocked at his irreverence it's david's michelangelo's david he gave her mabel's note i can't write back because my hands are all charcoaly she explained but you can say my love and i will if i possibly can and oh yes tell her i had a letter from him this morning meaning jack said mark all right and oh i say trixie why won't the governor and mater come to my wedding it's all ma said trixie she says she should only feel herself out of place at a fashionable wedding and she's better away it's going to be a very quiet affair though thank heaven observed mark yes but don't you see what she really wants is to be able to feel injured by being out of it all if she can she'll persuade herself in time that she never was invited at all you know what dear ma is well said mark with considerable resignation she must do as she pleases of course have you got anything else to tell me trixie because i shall have to be going soon you mustn't go till i've given you something that came for you oh a long time ago when ma was ill you see it was like this ma had her breakfast in bed and there was a tray put down on the slab where it was and it was sticky underneath or something and so it stuck to the bottom and the tray wasn't wanted again and anne of course didn't choose to wash it so she only found it yesterday and brought it to me trixie said mark i can't follow all those its i gather that i'm entitled to something sticky but i haven't a notion what hadn't you better get it whatever it happens to be why it's a letter of course goose said trixie i told you that the very first thing wait here and i'll bring it to you so mark waited patiently in the homely little back parlour where he had prepared his work as a schoolboy in the old days where he had smoked his first cigar in his first cambridge vacation he smiled as he thought how purely intellectual his enjoyment of that cigar had been and how for the first time he had appreciated the meaning of the bitter end he was smiling still when trixie returned whom do you know in india mark she said curiously perhaps it's some admirer who's read the book i hope it's nothing really important if it is it wasn't our fault that mark you're not ill are you no said mark placing himself with his back to the light and stuffing the letter after one hasty glance at the direction unopened into his pocket of course not why should i be is there anything in the letter to worry you persisted trixie it can't be a bill can it never mind what it is said mark have you got the keys i i should like a glass of wine ma left the keys in the cupboard said trixie how lucky port or sherry mark brandy if there is any he said with an effort brandy oh mark 
have you taken to drinking spirits and so early in the morning she asked with an anxious misgiving that perhaps that was de rigueur with all literary men no no don't be absurd i want some just now and quick do you hear i caught a chill walking across he explained you had better try to eat something with it then she advised have some cake do you want to make me ill in earnest he retorted peevishly thrusting away the brown cake with a stale flavour of cupboard about it with which trixie tried to tempt him there it's all right there's nothing the matter i tell you and he poured out the brandy and drank it there was a kind of comfort or rather distraction in the mere physical sensation to his palate he thought he understood why some men took to drinking <sighs> and he made a melancholy attempt at the sigh of satisfaction which some people think expected of them after spirits now i'm a man again chicksy that has driven off the chill i'll be off now are you sure you're quite well again she said anxiously very well then i shan't see you again till you're in church next tuesday and oh mark i do so hope you'll be very very happy he was on the doorstep by this time and made no reply while he kept his face turned from her good-bye then she said you won't forget my message to mabel will you let me see what was it he said oh i remember your love and you will if you can eh yes and say i've had a letter from him this morning she added he gave a strange laugh and then as he turned she saw how ghastly and drawn his face looked have you though he said wildly so have i trixie so have i and before she could ask any further questions he was gone he walked blindly up the little street and into the main road again unable at first to think with any clearness he had not read the letter the stamp and handwriting on the envelope were enough for him the bolt had fallen from a clear sky the thing he had only thought of as a nightmare had really happened the sea had given up its dead he went on there was the same old woman in the sunbonnet still crooning the same song he laughed bitterly to think of the difference in his own life since he had last seen her only a short half hour ago he passed the parish church from which a wedding party was just driving while the bells clashed merrily under the graceful spire no wedding bells would ever clash for him now but he must read that letter and know the worst holroyd was alive that he knew but had he found him out did that envelope contain bitter denunciations of his treachery perhaps he had already exposed him he could not rest until he knew how this might be and yet he dared not read his letter in the street he thought he would find out a quiet spot in kensington gardens and read it there alone quite alone he hurried on with a dull irritation that the high street should be so long and so crowded and that everybody should make such a point of getting in the way the shock had affected his body as well as his mind he was cold to the bones and felt a dull numbing pressure on the top of his head and yet he welcomed these symptoms too with an odd satisfaction they seemed to entitle him to some sympathy he reached the gardens at last 
but when he had turned in at the little postern door near the king's arms he could not prevail upon himself to open the letter he tore it half open and put it back irresolutely he must find a seat and sit down he struck up the hill with the wind in his teeth now until he came to the round pond where there was quite a miniature sea breaking on the southwestern rim of the basin a small boy was watching a solitary ship labouring far out in the centre and mark stood and watched it too mechanically till he turned away at last with a nervous start of impatience once he had sailed ships on those waters what would he not give if those days could come back to him again or if even he could go back these past few months to the time when his conscience was clear and he feared no man but the past was irrevocable he had been guilty of this reckless foolish fraud and now the consequences were upon him he walked restlessly on under the bare tossing branches looking through the black trunks and across the paths glimmering white in the blue-grey distance for a seat where he might be safe from interruption until at last he discovered a clumsy wooden bench scored and slashed with the sand ingrained initials of a quarter of a century's idleness a seat of the old uncomfortable pattern gradually dying out from the walks he could wait no longer and was hurrying forward to secure it when he was hailed by someone approaching by one of the bayswater paths and found that he had been recognized by harold caffin End of chapter twenty seven